good. We're going to do a reading now, and it's 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 a I, I think it's a, a special part because I'm going to talk about a man called Elijah today, but my reading is going to begin in the the New Testament because in our walk with God, we're always entering into new things. God gives a new song, a new heart, a new covenant, new creation. Everything with God is new. And it's something we've got to understand that, that, that the old is always giving way to the new in Christ. And one of the examples I like to use is, is an example from my own childhood. Um, I was thinking about it, you know, often I look back in my childhood and get wonderful examples. Um, I look back in my street where I grew up and I think most families were dysfunctional. But the thing about it, the word dysfunctional hadn't been invented or used then. So we were all pretty normal. And one of the normal things that happened to me, it happened to my friends, it, it was a dreadful thing. And that was that Whenever we needed new clothes, our mothers always went with us to choose them. And what happened was you, you needed a new jacket. And mother went and got a provi check, provident check. And what happened, we'd go to an outfitters. There's one in a place, Edinburgh Haymarket, if you know it. It used to be there called Henderson. And we went there. And one of the things that always happened with me was that I would get a jacket on, and the sleeves would always be covering half my hand, and, and it never fitted me. It was always too big. But my mother had this philosophy, and it was very simple. The philosophy was this, he'll grow into it. And the problem was that I did. And so for a whole year and longer, I would spend most of my time growing into my clothes. And you know what happened once I grew into them? By that time, they'd become old because you never had a lot of clothes to change into. So by that time, you needed to go and get new clothes. And again, the provi check came, waited outfitters, mother there looking in the mirror at jackets that were too big, trousers that didn't fit you, you know. You're hoping that a gusty wind didn't come up, it would blow you away with all the the spare room at the behind, all this kind of thing. I spent most of my years, up until I was about 14, trying to grow into my clothes. And every time I grew into them, what happened was this. I grew into them, and I needed new ones. That's a wonderful example of how God works for an individual and how he works corporately. As a church, Sandy Hills, we've had clothes and sometimes they're too big, but we grow into them in God. And God wants to give us new clothes, but like the, the clothes, they don't fit us. They're bigger than us. That's because God wants us to grow into them. Now, I say that because I want to turn to James chapter 5, and I want to read a passage that's all about the prayer of faith. So in James chapter 5, 13, James begins to tell us about something called the prayer of faith. I'm going to read it now. Verse 13, chapter 5. 
Is anyone, anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone one among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And notice this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. No ifs and buts, but that's what's going to happen. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he gives us this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. A lovely passage in the book of James. And, and one of the things about that passage, you notice I called it the prayer of faith, that God wants the church, the, the, the individual, to grow and to grow into something new. Remember in the little parable of the sword, the seed comes, and if it finds good ground, it can go to 30, 60, 100. God wants churches, God wants individuals who will explode, expand into the hundredfold blessing. And one of the things that's interesting now, that when James gives us that passage about praying for one another and seeing the miraculous happening, healings happening, happening, it's interesting, he gives us an example. And the example is this, a man called Elijah, who has the same nature as us. And what I want to do this morning is simply just talk about Elijah and some of the great things of Elijah and a lot of the stuff about Elijah that we don't really know about. And in this, we're going to see why James gives Elijah as the example. Because for you and for me, if we're in clothes that we're going to grow into, we have to understand the processes and what's going on within us and with God interacting with us. So, in the book of First Kings, we're introduced to a, a kingship called the House of Omri. Now, in Britain, we have the House of Windsor. In the Bible, you'll find there are similar houses that, that rule and control the land. The House of Omri had, had really usurped power and eventually Omri died, and his son Ahab became king of, of Samaria, king of Israel. And what happened was that he married a Phoenician woman called Jezebel. She incorporated all the foreign, foreign worship to come into Israel. She hated prophets. She hated the whole kind of religious stuff of the God of the Bible. And she started to make moves to destroy it. Now, God raises up a man called Elijah Tishbite. And God tells him there's going to be a drought. So he prays for a drought. And for three and a half years, there's, there's no rain coming. Elijah is called by Ahab as the, he's called the troubler of Israel. 
And what actually happens is there's this skirmishes going on between Elijah, the prophet of God, and all this kind of foreign worship that's been introduced by Jezebel under the auspices of Ahab. Eventually, Elijah says, let's have a confrontation. Let's have a contest. Let's see whose God is really God. Now, the gods that she'd incorporated was Baal worship and Asherah worship. And Asherah was, we think, the consort of, of Baal. And what happened was, on a place called Mount Carmel, Elijah stands before 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And what they do is they get a bullock and they create a sacrifice and each one is going to call down fire upon the sacrifice. So Elijah lets him go first. Remember, there's 850 of them. They're all cutting themselves, dancing about, shouting, screaming. Nothing happens. Elijah comes along. He rebuilds the altar of Israel. He, he covers the whole sacrifice in water, which was a, a scarce commodity of sacrifice. Prays, the fire of God falls, and everybody says, wow, God is God. And the prophets of Baal and Asherah are killed. Ahab, by this time, is pretty sheepish. He's seen this miracle. And Elijah tells him, look, you better get home because rain's coming. And we read at the end of chapter 18 that, that Elijah prays for rain seven times until he sees a cloud the size of a man's fist. And at that point, rain is coming and Elijah stops praying and makes his way back. Great stuff. He prays for fire and it falls. And he prays for rain and it comes. And if I was to say to you, what do you think the next prayer of Elijah is? Move mountains, do this, do that. We're going to read chapter 19 together and we'll break it into two sections. And you're going to find a strange thing. Remember, James says, Elijah is a man with the same nature as us. Elijah is our example. Now, fire come from heaven, rain falling after a drought. Well, you say to yourself, well, that's too big for me. But Elijah is a man with the same nature as you and the same nature as me. And I'm going to read from chapter 19 and tell you what happens after the fire falls and after the rain comes. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. He asked that he might die, saying, 
It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. What's Elijah's next prayer? Let the fire fall. Let the rain come. I want to die. That's strange, isn't it? The man feels that, you know, he wants to just give it all up. He's seen miracles. He's seen, you know, try and think of the, how irrational all this is. He's seen fire coming. He's seen blue skies. And he's prayed for seven times to see a little cloud coming like the first man. He's seen all this. He stood before 850 prophets who despised them, who hated them, who were probably cursing them left, right, and center. Ahab would be there with his, his, his soldiers and everything. He's standing before all this, and he sees the great work of God. And what happens? The next prayer he prays is, I want to die. I've had enough. I'm no better than anybody else. James says, Elijah has the same nature as me. The same nature as you. That one moment we can call down fire, and the next moment we want to die. And this is something we've got to understand. And it's not an accident that the revelation given to James as he's writing his stuff the revelation is he's given, it's not an accident that, that he gives Elijah as the example. Because Elijah is a man who's standing on the threshold of incredible power, yet at the same time, totally and absolutely blown away by one woman who threatens him. It, it, it's irrational. Now, we know that Jezebel was probably knee-deep in the demonic, knee-deep in that stuff. And we know that there was probably a, a real spiritual demonic attack on Elijah. But he just stood before 850 prophets who were also demonically expire, inspired, who were cursing him and nothing happened. What changed in the whole situation? Well, let me give you a couple of things. I think Elijah was a victim of something. The victim was, he was a victim of expectation. When Elijah called the fire, called the rain, he expected something to happen. The people were all saying, God is God. Ahab is now very docile. And he's expecting Ahab to go back, Jezebel to go wow. 
and for the whole of Israel to turn to God. He's expecting something to happen. But you know what happens? The exact opposite. Rather than a humility and a humbling of Jezebel, you get the exact opposite. And something demonic came. But I think Elijah was open to it for the simple reason he expected something and it didn't happen. Now, one of the things I've, I've done over the last 10, 15 years, I've, I've worked a lot with ministers and, you know, in a whole board of ministry in the Baptist Union. And one of the things I've found is this problem of expectation. I've seen men who have been greatly used by God and then just suddenly fall away. I've seen it on the, the congregational level as well as pastors. But, but it's always kind of bothered me. What happens, sometimes there's been churches where God is starting to do great things. And before you know what's happened, suddenly the, the minister's leaving. It all seems to fall apart. What's happening? And I think one of the greatest problems that we have is this expectation. Now, James Right, this is important. James gives us this example of Ahab, on, 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 not Ahab, of Elijah against Ahab and Jezebel. He gives us an example and says he's the same nature uh, as we are. And he gives him Elijah's example because if you're going to pray for people, if you're going to pray in the miraculous, you can have incredible breakthrough. You expect certain things to happen and... The truth is, no, it doesn't. And you probably meet a demonic reaction. And if you're a victim of expectation, then what happens is, you know, you're open to something. He became exhausted as well, because we know as you read the story, as you go through the story we've just read, Elijah goes through a whole process where, where, where he's running away from her. And then he goes, you know, he's got to do a, what, a 40 day journey and everything. By the time he gets to sit under the broom tree, he's pretty exhausted. He's run himself, in a sense, into the ground. James says, as a man of the same nature like us, you and I can be used by God. Things end up not happening the way we think they should. And what happens is we, we go on what I call the hamster wheel. We exhaust ourselves. And the end product is this. We're exhausted. And the only prayer we can really pray to God is, I want to die. I want to die. That's incredible. Lord, let the fire come. Lord, let it rain. Oh, Lord, I want to die. That seems to me to be a common experience when Jesus meets the men who are going down to, you know, on after his resurrection and they're going down to, to, to Bethany and that. They're going to, what's it, I can't recall the place here. But what happens is that he meets them and as they're going down, he talks to them after his resurrection. And one of them, Cleopas, says to him, um, well, we had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to save us. 
And if you read the story, you see that the two men are pretty downcast. They're pretty depressed because they had high expectations. And what happens, what happens is it's the road to Emmaus. It's coming to me now. The road to Emmaus. They, they have so many expectations that eventually when they, Jesus is crucified, put in the tomb, they, they have to go down to Emmaus. And what happens is that they're downcast. And the little phrase that Cleopas uses is, we had hoped. And one of the sad things in Christian life is that Christian life is full of people who God has called to do great things. God has used to do great things. But something happened in this whole expectation kind of thing. And when that happens, well, you know, we're open game. I want to read to you a book. I, I read this in 1985. It's always been a, a, a favorite of mine. You probably never heard of the guy, but it was big in the middle 80s called Gordon MacDonald. And he wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World. And basically the book is, is essentially about this whole problem that we have. On one sense, we can do great things for God, then suddenly everything comes crashing down. And the opening of the book, and it's maybe a wee bit relevant, I don't know if you've been watching the news about that big building collapse in Miami, and, and, and you know, how they're looking for the, the people who are all missing. Um, he begins by talking about residents of a Florida apartment building awoke to a terrifying sight outside their windows. The ground beneath the street in front of their building had literally collapsed, creating a massive depression that Floridians call a sinkhole. Tumbling into the ever-deepening pit were automobiles, pavements, sidewalks, lawn furniture. The building itself would obviously be the next to go. Sinkholes occur scientists say when underground streams drain at the surface to lose during a season of doubt, causing the ground at the surface to lose its underlying support. Suddenly, everything simply caves in, leaving people with a frightening suspicion that nothing, even the earth beneath their feet, is trustworthy. And it goes on to take that physical example and apply it to our lives that, that basically... On the surface, it all looks good, but there's a fragility within us. Some people are surprised and disturbed when they make such a self-discovery. They suddenly realize they've spent the majority of their time and energy establishing life on the visible level at the surface. They have accumulated a host of good and perhaps even excellent assets, such as academic degrees, work experience, key relationships, and physical strength or beauty. There is nothing wrong with all of that, but often it is discovered almost too late that the private world of the person is in a state of disorderliness or weakness. And when that is true, there is always a potential for the sinkhole syndrome. And he goes on and says, and I'll finish it, our Western culture values have helped to blind us to this tendency. We are naively inclined to believe that the most publicly active person 
is also the most privately spiritual. We assume that the larger the church, the greater its heavenly blessing. The more information about the Bible a person possesses, we think the closer he must be to God. Because we tend to think like this, there is a temptation to give imbalanced attention to our public worlds at the expense of the private. More programs, more meetings, more learning experiences, more relationships, more business, until it all becomes so heavy at the surface of light that the whole thing trembles on the verge of collapse. Fatigue, disillusionment, failure, defeat, all become frightening possibilities. The, ne the neglected private world can no longer hold the weight. That's what I think happened in one sense to Elijah. The surface, fantastic, but something inside him was fragile. And that fragility eventually gave way and he simply wanted to die. But thankfully with God, it doesn't end there. And what happens, and I want to read to you now what, what happens because he goes 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And let me just take up this story now. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, it's interesting that, 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 that so often when you're at a place with God that you know, he doesn't come and pat you on the head. He asks you a very pointed question. What are you doing then? Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak went out and stood at the entrance of cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, here it is again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, that for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altar, is reiterating all again, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, here it is, and I am the only one left, and they seek my wife to take it away. This is a man, remember, 850 prophets cursing him, all that kind of thing, and I'm the only one, they want to take my wife. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall not Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nishi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of, of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. 
And here it is here, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. Elijah was having a pity party. And as you read this story, how many times he's gone over it and over it and over it again. Does that not sound familiar? Does it? James says Elijah is a man with the same nature as Over and over, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else. Nobody really cares about you, God, about your work. No, God had separated people and everything. But Elijah was locked into himself. And the key thing here, and this is, I think, the important thing for us, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, Jesus giving us the seed in the soil growing and the idea of clothes that are going to grow into and then eventually new ones that are even just big for us. All this kind of thing. What have we got to learn here? Jesus wants us to have his power. At the same time, he wants us to have his character. Because it's only in the character of Jesus can the power of Jesus be held in balance. Get that out of sync and you have mega, mega problems. How that works out in the, the, the book of Acts, in the early church, it was very simple. There was something called the gifts of the Spirit, power gifts that came along, prophecy, healing, miracle working, all that. But coupled with that and balancing it out was what Paul writes in Galatians, something called the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all these kind of things. The two have to be kept in balance. And, and one of the things Elijah learned, he knew God in the earthquake, and he knew him in the wind, he knew him in the dramatic, but he had to hear again God in the quietness. And again, as I've talked with lots of people over the years and years, one of the things that, that really does go is that people can be into the dramatic and that's important because that's part of the call commission that God has given his church given his people that's important but we've got to keep hearing the still small voice of God in the form of the Holy Spirit speaking to us and leading us and balancing us out. It's interesting, isn't it? God doesn't give Elijah an explanation. Elijah's obviously now going through self-revelation here. What God does is he gives Elijah a task. In other words, Elijah, you do these things and that will deal with your expectation because as you deal with these things, you're going to discover my purposes and my plans. And so Elijah goes out. Eventually, Jehu is going to be the man who kills 
Jezebel. It wasn't going to be Elijah. That wasn't part of God's plan. Elijah thought it would all be different, expected something different, and, and in a sense paid the penalty. And one of the things I think that a church has to learn, one of the things that, that individuals have to learn, is we've got to learn to allow God to unfold his purposes to us. You see, I've got this, again, I have all these wee beliefs, but I think everybody who sits in a church, somewhere in their being, have a dream. Somewhere within them, there's something that God has touched. And, and they may on the surface be totally disinterested. I go to church every week, I don't know why. It's because something inside them is, is drawing them. But so many folk have never understood this example of Elijah. And they've started on the Christian life. And you know how Jesus said in the parable of the sword that the children had? You know, there were so many different things come along. And, and one of the things that has paralyzed so many Christians and made them just churchgoers has been this whole thing of expecting. They expected something rather than understanding that God has to unfold it. And that's a big challenge for us as a church as Sandy Hills goes into the future. We're not always going to be online. We're going to be back here together. God wants to do things. He wants to be the whole move of his spirit. You know, you saw in James there about praying for the sick, healing to happen, all these kind of things. God wants that. But the key thing for a church is not to allow expectation to overwhelm. There's a difference between faith and something going to happen and the expectation of what's the result of when that thing happens. And that was Elijah's misgiving. And it's interesting, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, James gives us Elijah as the example. So what can we learn this morning? Well, maybe as a Christian, maybe you're a wee bit flat because things did not work out the way you wanted them. You're in good company. Elijah didn't just get flat. He was flattened. And as a result, he wanted to die. You might get there. You know, Apostle Paul talks about having the sentence of death over him. Jesus talked about his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Uh, so many as the experience, so much experiences of Christians is that they suddenly get overwhelmed. But remember this, and this is important, that Elijah got to the place where he heard the still, small voice of God. And that's what we want to pray for. That in the razzmatazz, so to speak, of the miraculous happening, the razzmatazz of folk becoming Christians, everybody excited, etc., that we don't neglect the still, small voice where God speaks to you and God brings balance into your life. And I think that's the, the challenge of James 5, of Elijah being our example. You know, as I said in this book here, Gordon MacDonald, 
All of us have sinkholes. We have areas that are fragile. God wants to heal them. God wants to deal with them simply because as we step out, as God begins to use us, he doesn't want us to fall into the same trap as Elijah. So hopefully that's been challenging for you. And spend a few, ta- few moments today, this week, just simply thinking about Elijah. You'll find his story in chapter 17, 18, 19 of First Kings. Read the story, meditate upon it, and, and just simply understand, yes, we can all pray, let, it, let the fire fall, let the rain come. I want to die. It's part of human experience. But God wants to take us on from that into something very deep and something very personal. Let's pray together. Father, you've given Elijah as our example. And we do thank you, Father, that you use people with frailties people who are not perfect, people who have things wrong with them, people who have, in God and McDonald's words, sinkholes within their lives that can so easily cave in and crash. But your desire is that we're healed, that we're healed by your Spirit, that you build into us the powerful forces of love and joy and peace. And you use us in the powerful gifts of your spirit. And so, Father, we simply give our lives to you again. Lord, where we've maybe turned back, where we've perhaps had the edge, the cutting edge of our faith just blunted. Lord, where we've expected something to happen and it didn't. Lord, we just ask now, that we might hear your still, small voice. Let us hear your perspective, your viewpoint. But Lord, most of all, let us hear that voice that draws us closer to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.